we have a guest again today. We do. It's exciting. We're making a habit of this. So with us here in the Good Day Sir Studios, Allison Bourne. Hi, Allison. Hi there. <laughs> Allison is a Salesforce consultant expert extraordinaire. One of my favorite Salesforce people. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. How long have you been in the Salesforce business? I've been working with Salesforce for about six years. Before that, I focused a lot on uh, operational strategy and um, just internal improvement process definition. So, yep. Cool. So you're in town because we're working together this yes. week on an exciting project. We are. And Doing cool stuff. Yeah. Changing the world. Yeah. Exactly. We are. We will. Making the world better one app at one a time. One app at a time. Yeah. <laughs> That's our motto. Uh, hey, there's a title. Making the world better. One app at a time. One app at a time. Cool. All right. So we have to talk about this. What is it? I, I titled this in our notes, Cloud Curmudgeons. That was, that was one of our... That was one of our... Uh, well, I know where you're going with this. That was one of the items <laughs> on our list. We, we were almost called Cloud Curmudgeons. That was on the, in the running for the name before that was, we picked that was day, my, so. uh, That was my suggestion. Cloud yeah. Curmudgeons. Because Jeremy thought we, for the podcast. Ger- yeah, Jeremy thought we sounded like old men bickering when we have our discussions. More like uh, old couple bickering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> old married couple. Yeah, yep. <laughs> we probably do act, act like I'm old. the husband. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> dang it. Uh, but I, I thought th- it was. I fit- thought we could take turns. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll let you think that. <laughs> but I wanted to bring it back up because I think we're living proof of cloud curmudgeons because we're acting like old people. We both yeah. got seriously injured this weekend. You didn't tell me much about yours. Well, because well, I thought my story was going to be fun and entertaining, but then, did you hear that? Yeah, what was that? I don't know. I heard a buzzing. I have no idea what that was. Did you? Was it like a bee, like a mosquito flying it, around? Yeah, I that was weird. It sounded like that. That or like know. a bit. Little... I was hearing other weird noises earlier, so I have no idea. It's you. Anyways, I thought my story was going to be funny and all that kind of stuff, but then you came up with your story, and I just think yours, yours is much more hilarious about how you got injured. But anyways, I had hurt my back. I was putting my socks on, and I had this habit of putting my socks on while I stand, so I just kind of hop on one leg, and I put it on. And I guess I twisted wrong, and I ended up just pinching something in my back, and I, I couldn't move. I could barely walk. I made it to the bed. So I'm laying in the bed screaming, and this is on a weekend. We had family coming over. My wife is running around cleaning, the vacuuming's going, so she couldn't hear me. And you, just, you can't move. You're, I can't move, yeah. so I'm yelling and no one can hear me. So what I did is she happened to have her watch on the nightstand. And you can, you can call your phone to find it. It has like find a phone feature and it does this ping. And so I started just wailing on that thing. I just kept pinging and pinging and pinging. And unfortunately, I'm a bit of a, what am I, a prankster? I, I mess with my wife all the time. So she didn't believe that I was really hurt she, or needed her. She just thought I was messing around with her phone <laughs> and she was getting mad at me. Yeah. So she finally comes in there. She's got this like weird look on her face. Like I'm just annoying her. And I'm just like, I took her like a minute for me to convince her that I was really was hurt. Yeah. So that was my story. The watch saved me that hey, day. There you go. So I found a good use for the watch. The watch saved me. There's, there's another title. But that story pales in comparison to yours, Jeremy. Yeah, so I really ate it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I uh, should I start with what I'm my injury is or what happened? I guess I'll, I'll start with what happened. So no, let's start with your injury. Okay, that that so, way we can get the full 
I have a, injuries. I, I have like a total AC separation of my shoulder. AC is some tendon that holds together your clavicle, uh, your clavicle, which yeah. is your collarbone, and your uh, shoulder blade. And so that's complete. Those tendons are all completely ripped up, and so those bones are like uneven now, and it's extremely painful. Um, and so I may have surgery. That's it's an option. I don't have to. I'll be okay without the surgery. But you know, they kind of want you to do the surgery. Um, and then also I have some kind of leg muscle tear, which is actually more painful, even though there's no broken bones. It's, uh, it turns out you need your legs to walk and it's painful. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so what I did was I was in the garage over the weekend and we had a bunch of cardboard boxes that had been piled up. So I was had broken them all down and was, you know, jammed them in our recycling bin, which is one of those, you know, tall recycling bins that has wheels on it. And anytime it's like I'm trying to jam more in there that will fit, I'll just jump up on top of it and just, you know, start jumping on the contents like a human (laughs) trash compactor. You're just up there monkey style, just jumping up and down. Yes. (laughs) Except this time, as soon as I jump on top, the thing immediately shoots out from under me uh, on its wheels. Like a, it's kind of like the banana peel in a cartoon. It just shoots out from underneath me. And I'm, you know, five or six feet in the air and just come down completely horizontal, land on my side on concrete. And talk about not being able to move. All I could do was, I even had my phone in my pocket and I, I couldn't get it. Uh, wow. I just was screaming help and neighbor <laughs> shows up and then later my wife shows up. But then, um, but I didn't go to the, I didn't go to the hospital. They, everyone was pressuring me to go to the emergency room and I was like, no, I'll be fine. I'll wait till, because it was the weekend. I, Probably should have though. Well, they can't do anything. They can run. They can do X-rays to see if you have a broken bone. But if you do, they then they, they tell you just well next week you need to go see a an orthopedist, you know, to get a cast or whatever. They don't do that in the emergency room. They could have given me drugs. That would have been nice. But uh, except that you've been refusing to take them. No, I'm taking them now. Which is why, yeah, no, no promises, right? That's that's my excuse. I'm on I'm, I'm on <laughs> painkillers, so if I act weird, then yeah, that's my excuse. That's your excuse. So yeah, now I'm walking around like a really. You are. You're literally walking. Around. You had a cane the first day, but then yeah. you opted out of it because maybe we were giving you too much of a hard time. Uh, no, for it. no, that wasn't what I did. I could I hear you brought... coming down the hall from a mile away. I just hear this. I should have brought the cane today. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we're we're getting old. We're, we're getting old. That's what someone told me when I told them the story. They said, "You know, you're not 25 anymore." I was like, "Yeah, I know." I really know that now. <laughs> See, when I've heard you got hurt, I thought maybe you were cleaning out the garage because you're always complaining about how dirty the garage is and how you know disorganized it is. So I thought maybe you were up in the attic and fell off the ladder. I had been up in the attic. Luckily, I didn't fall because yeah. that's like 15 feet. That would have been bad. Oh, we're all glad you're, you're at all least right. well, A-OK for yeah. now, aside from your yeah. pains. All right. Let's move on to some tech news. Tech news. What do you got? Well, I wanted to talk about this Apple Watch tethering thing only because I, I think the watch as a standalone device that does not have to be tethered to your phone to at least get certain updates would be valuable. And there's a bit of confusion as to whether or not we're getting that in the next release. Now, I had, I had said in our last podcast that I think we are because there are some footnotes in some of the technology features that said that it'll be able to run or access hotspots, known hotspots, to be able to access and update services. Um, But it's kind of vague as to whether or not that means it'll actually run on its own or if it's just going to connect to your phone through those wireless hotspots, if it's able to do that. Right. So, 
And I still haven't kind of figured that out yet. Oh, so there's no news on that? No. Oh. All I have is the description from the documentation. It's really vague, and I'm hoping our audience can help me out and tweet to me whether or not it's really going to be, you know, untethered. Okay. But the, the particular footnote on here is that, uh, let's see, I lost it. Using NSURL session, Apple Watch can now communicate directly with known Wi-Fi hotspots using the new tetherless Wi-Fi feature. And this is, will be for watchOS 2. Yeah. So doesn't that sound like it's going gonna, it's gonna to be able to access services without being tethered to I the phone? Sounds like it. If not, I don't think they would even mention it. Yeah. So anyways, if you know about that and you have a better understanding of it, let me know. Because I'm really curious about that. Another news update. Remember when I joked around about I, was gonna, I wanted Flappy Bird on my watch? Well, so, <laughs> someone went out and actually did that. They, uh, they kind of hacked together a port of Flappy Bird. It looks just like it's full color and everything. And you can play Flappy Bird. You can actually tap it to flap the bird. And you can also use the uh, crown on the device to kind of... Do you play, play Flappy Bird? Is it on your phone? It used to be. You don't have it anymore? No. I've never played it. What about you, Austin? No, I've never actually heard of it. Never it's heard some, of Flappy Bird? No. So, okay. It's, it, it's Is it a, like Angry Birds? No, no? it's... It's, it's a really okay. So here's the thing about Flappy Bird: super low budget. Yeah, I mean it's, it's one guy made it. So for one guy, it's not bad. But it was just like kind of this low budget game, and somehow or another, I don't know what happened. It got insanely popular, and I think it almost became a like they're like trolling this game almost. It it's like this bad game that if the joke of it was that it got so much traction and like so many Sharknado. people, and, yeah, and so everyone had to d- install it because I got to see what this terrible app is. Mm-hmm. And this guy became a like a millionaire. He said, "I'll I'll never have to work again." Well, it's just one of those repetitive, addictive games that you don't have to think; you just tap. So, maybe, so it's a good game then. It's it's a time waster. It's a good time waster. Some games are just good time wasters. Like you know, you have a good time waster, whether it's like Candy Crush or or something along those lines, where it doesn't require a lot of thought. You're not trying to be strategic. You're not trying to accomplish any kind of major goal. You're just tapping and getting through to the next stage. It's so sometimes you just need those. Right. Turn the brain off and just yeah. do something mindless. Yep. Isn't that what TV's for? It's kind of what I use Isn't it for. that what hammocks are for? Uh, I don't have a hammock. I don't I'd like to have one. That'd be hammocks nice. are great. This is Texas. I know. <laughs> we don't have very many days. <laughs> we don't have very hammock no day weather. If your days. hammock is like dipping you in the pool, then that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah. Hey, you know what? Observation. We are. This is the first time that. The Good Day Sir podcast has been women surge compliant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 33%. Yeah, we're over the minimum, which yes, is 30. Right. right. Exactly. Awesome. We, were, we were 50% earlier today. And we didn't have to go arbitrarily grab her. Like, she's actually qualified and invited guest. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. And knowledgeable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, That's funny. Did you guys change your last password? Yes. Last pass passwords? Yeah. I don't use last pass, but. There are a lot of people upset about that. They feel like that was the one thing you're supposed to get right was manage and secure our passwords. That's the whole point of their app. Yeah. And LastPass is one of the major, right? The, one of the biggest password manager apps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, LastPass and Well, my one preference password. is one password. Right. But what what LastPass use. has kind of better functionality for sharing passwords across teams, which is what I th- think makes it more attractive. Yeah. But regardless, I mean... I don't know how far this, apparently the security breach didn't go as far as to actually get anyone's passwords, but it got some other kind of ancillary information from the outskirts of, of their system. 
But I still think, you know, using some kind of password manager is the way to go. You know, not oh, share, not reusing the yeah. passwords or anything like that. So whether it's LastPass or one password, it's, it's something we should all be doing. I mean, did they do a good post-mortem and were they really transparent on what happened and how they're going to prevent this from happening again and all that? I think so. I mean, they have they have a blog posted on their site that kind of covers, you know, the issue and what happened and what they're going to try to do. Um, but it's kind of standard PR stuff. Take it for what it is. Hmm. Some people didn't buy it. Some people are just pissed and want to move on. Some are some are like that's the world we live in. Breaches happen. They respond. They responded to it quickly, and they let us know as soon as they can could to change the password. Right. Uh, so so some people are on the camp of that's the best you can expect in this day and age, and other people are are of the camp of that was what your that was your job, and you failed. Yeah, you had one job. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think you know. I don't. It doesn't matter who you are. If you can be the CIA or the federal government, systems get hacked. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really all about how you respond to it and also like how well in, in, internal systems were designed. Like when they, when they hacked it, they didn't get everything right. Right. So it was, there were built-in firewalls. Like if you hack into a certain area, you're limited to that certain area. You know, you didn't get everything. And that's right. just good, you know, architecture and security design. So the fact that they, that they only got certain things, that's, I think, like commendable. You, yeah. you only had to change your... Your, your one password. master password, right. Right. yeah. I guess probably because everything else was encrypted with your master password anyway. But right, um, yeah, it's going to happen. And the question is, you know, was it? Were they doing something really stupid, or was it just one of these things where you're? There's always a vulnerability, and someone just happened to, to get it. And are they responding right? Are they taking the right steps? Were they immediately transparent about it? Do they how do they, you know, how do they treat their users? You know, if they did all that right, then. What, do you, what can you expect? Yeah, you know this is. They don't have a history of this. Their track record is very solid, so it's it's going to happen. Agreed. That's my thought. Yeah. Um. So, did you hear about the new the the ISV changes that Salesforce made? No. So they, you know, they have like it's so ISVs are that's what they call the independent software vendor. So people who make app exchange apps and whatever other kinds of things. They also, I think, include their OEMs in the same. So there are, uh, for example, like, like a, a some uh, like you say you're doing a wealth management app, right? And so you can either sell that to existing Salesforce users, right? In which case it installs into their org with like a managed package. Or if they don't use Salesforce and they don't care about CRM, you can basically sell it as as OEM licenses, and they don't even have to know what Salesforce is. They won't, you know, they won't see Salesforce. And so I think they're both in as a part of that plan. Um, but there were some interesting numbers that I saw. I saw there's a slide. I'll share this link. There's a slide share somewhere. Um, but they supposedly have uh, $1.4 billion. I think it's annual in partner revenue. So I was like, well, that's pretty good. But then I was comparing it to other things like Apple's system fair comparison though it's it's not i just don't have a lot to compare it to but i don't think they do either because they do they do themselves salesforce does compare themselves to the apple store in terms of margins and all that kind of stuff that you can make they do right and apple has paid what 30 billion out to to um is that right eyes v are there developers yeah i guess so um but no, so Apple or so Salesforce has you know one and a half billion in in, re, in partner revenue, 
but Apple or Salesforce only gets a, a cut of that, and it's been fifteen percent. So what is that? Two hundred million. So it's really overall, it's actually a really small thing. It's I know it's this is again this is one of those things that they're they're trying to really make the app exchange like this not only a big differentiator but also like a good source of revenue and profit for Salesforce. It's just I don't know the I think the, I still think the the uptake on app exchange is still it's still media. It's not what it's not what it needs to be yet. In terms of, it just it needs to be, it needs to have better applications. It needs to have mm-hmm. more, and it just needs to have a lot more revenue. I mean, it needs to be ten times as big as what it is, or better curation. I think also. Well, okay, so I have something on that too, okay. which is really interesting. But um, so they've had three million. There's been three million installs. I think that's old news, right? That happened a yeah. while ago. Um, there's there's almost a thousand. No, was, yeah, three million downloads. Okay. okay, what was that? What was that thing they? We, we we talked about an article where he he mistook that number as three million apps. Oh, oh he took it as three apps. million apps. Yeah, that's yeah. just again quality journalism. There's almost <laughs> a thousand ISVs, which is pretty interesting. Um, the security review, I guess this is this is known too, but it's a twenty five hundred dollar review, right? So you, if you want to get an app listed on the app exchange, you have to pay a security review, which um, is really kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say it's perfunctory, but for what you pay for it and for this big of a deal as they make of it, it's kind of disappointing. Uh, but that's 2500 bucks, And then, they, again, they get their 15%, right? That's Salesforce's take. Well, the big thing that's changed is that's gone from 15% to 25%. That's and, a big difference. And the reason I found out about that is because I saw a lot of, a lot of ISVs on Twitter complaining about this. And a lot of them were saying, you know, between this increase, because security review used, used to be like a couple hundred bucks, I think. Now it's twenty five hundred, and and Salesforce's take has gone from fifteen percent to twenty five percent. And so a lot of guys are just saying, hey, you know, this is this is getting to the point that I don't know, it may not even be worth it for us to do this. But it is it an attempt to reduce the clutter or the volume, maybe, to kind of make make it so that if you want to be on there, you really want to be on there. It could be like just raise your barrier to yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know if that's an effective way to do that though. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of great apps. That's the way the free market system works, but, isn't it? You you it's supply and demand, and if there's you know too much demand for the supply, you raise the price. But the problem is they don't have enough supply of good apps. They actually want more supply. I mean. There, there's a don't get me wrong. There's a lot of crap on the App Exchange. I'm gonna start to re- reject right. some of these apps. Yeah. <laughs> reject more apps. I think. Um, I also think that apps are a lot of times built around use cases that are developed for whatever that particular app company has defined, but they're not as open as they should be. So there's a lot of assumptions that are made. So unless you get some of those high quality apps right away, you're, you're completely out. You can't put them in your, in your environment because you have too much more that's been, that's gone on. Yeah. So I think that from an app perspective, getting rid of, of the junk, especially the apps that have been out there for a really long time and haven't been improved over the past, how many ever years, yeah. I think that would be a good place to start. Yeah, we, there's a lot of apps that are just sitting yeah. there. Well, and that so that brings up the question: you know, is is it Salesforce's job just to make sure that there there are no malicious apps, or is it Salesforce's job to be the you know the judge of what's what's a good enough app, or is it it's an app they agree with? You know, are they going to get like Apple with the App Store and like you know if, if it's a, if it's if if Apple feels like it's a, an app that competes with them a little bit, they'll um, yeah. 
But generally, though, Apple, I don't know, do they, I guess they'll reject if there are like flagrant bugs, right? They'll, they'll reject your app. Yeah. But if you just have an app that's not useful or silly, I mean, it still, still gets on the App Store. They're, well, they reject some of those, like the, the I'm Rich app. You guys remember that hmm. one? Yeah, yeah, I had. You paid like a thousand bucks for an app just to have right. an icon that said I'm rich? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Well, I think that there's a difference, too, between the Apple store and a business apps marketplace, too. I think it is Salesforce's responsibility to make sure that what's out there is useful because there's a lot of organizations that are looking for apps on their own. They don't have people that are in there with them, and they might just start downloading things, and they might just start using things that eventually are not going to suit them well. So I think it is part of what they should be including is not just security review, making sure that your code is up to speed, et cetera, but that it's actually suitable and that it's a useful tool and is not going to cause harm. So, so. Is, it, is it your experience that people, when they're installing these apps, are they doing it in production or are they doing it in sandbox? Uh, production a lot of the yeah. times, honestly. I'll quote Shell Black on this one, that Salesforce is not an app exchange. Or not, not an app, not an iPad, he likes to say. Yeah, it, I, you know. I, I compl- that's a great statement and I completely agree with that. I think that... There is a fuzzy line between production and uh, sandboxes in, in many people's eyes, many end users' eyes, and I think that needs to be a little bit more clear cut. Yeah, because so. that's the danger. I mean, they're, yeah. they're just they're trying to evaluate these apps. They're they're installing them, but they're doing it into production environments. So I, yeah, I, I, that does point to maybe a case for Salesforce to take a little bit more ownership of the curation of that, right? And maybe mm-hmm. stri- st- tighten the, the rules. The only thing that rubs me a little weird is that. Is for, is if Salesforce gets in the business of deciding what's useful or not. Like, I understand, like, don't let anything in that's going to cause me a security problem. Don't let anything in that has clearly no purpose whatsoever. The I'm Rich app. That's why that one got taken, taken on. No, no actual purpose to it, right? But when it comes, but everything else to me is like this gray area. Like, maybe Salesforce, maybe they you know, might not think it's useful, but, you know, what, who's to say, right? I mean, that's, that's why it, it's a marketplace, of buyers and sellers with prices and reviews and star ratings and things. Right. I mean, at some point, if it's, if it's, if it's not going to do me any harm, then, then like, let me, let me decide what I want for mm-hmm. my org. I, I don't want Salesforce to decide for me. So what's your take on Salesforce's role in creating or not creating healthy competition on the app exchange between ISVs? So, well, okay. So you're saying that they don't create healthy competition. There's, what is what should their role be in that process? I'm not saying they do or don't right now. Well, I, th- I think Salesforce's role is is to is to host this marketplace, to to and to you know to have some basic governing rules and enforce those rules, generally around safety and security, right? But other than that, I think they get out of the way and let let the market do its thing. If they don't, let, go, if let they don't competitive- go beyond usefulness, then then you have the junk that you have, unless they invest heavily in a curation process and. I mean, they do do a certain amount of curation. They do a certain amount of featured apps and things like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe the price increase is to improve that, to increase the the number of people who are out there to look at that and curate it. So maybe it's more knowledge and education than to App Exchange users about and more requirements around documentation about these apps and what they are for and how to evaluate them and what's the process and all of that. Maybe that's where their role should be. Versus yeah, because I think preventing. now it's kind of treated as, oh, you need to do that. Just go look on the App Exchange and download something. There's something mm-hmm. out. There's got to be something out there that does that. There's right. no yeah. advice. There's no kind of guidance given to them. It's just, hey, 
go out there and see what's there. And just because we've also seen a lot of situations where someone will say, well, I have this other solution, this app, right? So Target X, great example, not, not saying anything bad or, or good about their actual integration, but I have, you know, Target X, I have eye contact, I have these apps, I want to integrate. Well, I call this company, I say, do you have an app for Salesforce? They say, sure. And client thinks, yep, works great, perfect. We've got an integration. Well, they don't understand necessarily that there are certain things it does and it doesn't do. And it could be awful. It could be fantastic. You don't know until you get in there. So I think it's more knowledge and education around what's actually happening with this app. Is it a, is it a true integration? Is it a web tab? Is it a um, series of uh, an actual platform? Is it objects, et cetera? And then helping them understand what to do with it after they decide to go forward. So it's kind of policing the kind of descriptions yes. and making sure that yes. it's, well, it's doing what it's advertised. Mm-hmm. I've often wished they would list a, like a manifest of like you know when you build a package you're at you know you can see the list of all the things there why why can't i see that exactly right, well, we, can, can, we can right? evaluate that but, but only as, when an admin, is. is an admin going to evaluate that is are no. they going to look at classes and go that looks fine Allison just asked hey i'd like to see if is this just a tab or are there but i think what we're dealing with is is customers being told to go to the app exchange and just pull something down that sounds like what they need and they're doing it in production they're not coming to partners or consultants like us to say, hey, can you help us see if this is what we need before we make a yeah. purchase right. or before we install this? Right. Or they are coming and assume that because it's on the app exchange that it does everything that they want and yeah. more, and it doesn't. Which a lot and of the time, especially with integrations, is not the case. Yes. It's, it's usually a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it was something they built for a specific customer and just stuck it, yep. made it That's public. true, right. And remember, these companies that I've have solutions. I've never been involved in anything <laughs> where, they, where we did that. <laughs> <laughs> these companies also, it's up to them to decide how much they want to invest in building their app for Salesforce as another revenue channel for themselves. So you see great ones and you see very poor ones. And, yeah. and it's, uh, there's no standard there. So we just, need, we just need a sign that says, buyer beware. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, to some degree, you know, Salesforce is, you know, it's, it's enterprise software. This is not, this is not an iPad with, you know, and, and a game, right? This is enterprise software and we're in business and we're adults. Like you have to take some level of responsibility. I mean, Salesforce gives you a sandbox. Yeah. That's what it's, that's what it's for. I mean, Which if I'm you're, always if you're amazed be, when we go to a client and they have a sandbox and they haven't even, they haven't even fired it up yet. Everything's still in production. Yeah. Well, that's why you're there. That's why they've hired you. Because they don't know what they're doing. Right? And just like, you know, I, I have a car, but I really have no business working on cars. Sure, I have tools. I could open it up and I could start just like loosening stuff and tightening stuff. But that would be stupid. That would not be responsible of me. Like, I pay people who are professional to, to do that for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Same thing with Salesforce. You, you have a sandbox, you know. Um, Salesforce gives you the tools to, you know, to, to be able to, Take things for test drives and make the right decisions. Um, at some point, you know, we have to we have to be adults, and I don't necessarily want Salesforce to be this big brother that's that's making kind of arbitrary decisions on what apps they will and won't let in there, let in there. You know, because what what some and I've I mean I've it's really interesting when you hear people disagreeing over like some someone will say oh I love Rollup Helper and then someone else will say I hate Rollup Helper. Well, I hate Rollup Helper, and I'm glad that I you hate don't. Rollup Helper. <laughs> okay, but I mean the people that the people that like it, I'm, I bet they're glad that you guys aren't the ones who decide what makes it in the app store, right? Yes, that should be yep. that should be up to the mark. 
let the free market work, right? We have reviews. I love reviews. I don't buy anything without reviews, right? I'm, I just go to Amazon, I read reviews, and that's how I make almost all of my buying decisions nowadays, you know? So what about requiring people who download to write a review or at least reminding them? I think they do. I, I've downloaded things and been asked for reviews, so I, I think that communication is there. I don't know how aggressive it is. Yeah, I definitely and think... I, that might even be controlled by the vendor, not Salesforce. I hope it's I not believe. controlled by the vendor. The vendor shouldn't have control over that. No, I think vendor gets you as a lead because you install their oh, app yes, and they, they send you right. communications okay. is what I'm saying. I don't think Salesforce is actively... And maybe they do on the setup page, but I don't think they're actively coming and saying, hey, can you review this? But Salesforce should make it easy to leave reviews and they should encourage it so that so that we can. I mean, that's what's great about this kind of you know online Amazon store. does that. I like the way they do it. They send me an email couple of days or a week after I buy something and say, hey, can you review this? Right. I don't always review it, but it's um, there. It's in my brain. Yeah. So I had some other notes here. Um, yeah. So Salesforce says, <laughs> by, I don't know if it's by increasing the take they're getting or what, but they're bringing coherence to the program. That was one of the things. Um, coherence. And and October 1st is the compliance date. Coherence is very expensive, apparently. You, you shall comply. <laughs> you shall comply with our new fees. I need by, you to find the word coherence. It's all your ISVs. You have until October 1st to start writing bigger checks to Salesforce, I guess. Um, yeah, and they, th they think they're going to get, they, they still, they're, the, Salesforce is thinking they're going to get, you know, continue to get bigger companies to be ISVs. I, it's, it's hard. It's Salesforce is one of those things because they have such a large audience and, because they're everyone's driving everyone to the app exchange to find a solution, it, it you almost kind of have to be there in some way or another, right? And they do have. I mean, they've got. Um, who, and, and this, this could just be Salesforce kind of pulling their weight a little bit, saying, "Hey, you know, we've we've got you." Yeah. <laughs> How will those costs be passed on to the customer? That's the next. It, it more than likely, the well, they always just are. The it's just like taxes. How, right? How will yeah. they though? Right. Yeah. I mean, a, yeah, right. A company has a certain business model, and they there's a certain required rate of return. And if Salesforce is going to increase their take, that just means the prices will go up. But if we're going to get in our soapbox about ISVs, I hate that everyone seems to have adopted the whole, how many users do you have? That's what you're going to get charged for this. I agree. Well, welcome to software as a service, John. Not everything has to be software as a service. A lot of these tools are native, built-in Salesforce, do not need to be based on that. It's already built into the Salesforce cost. Right. Their app running natively in Salesforce does not require you to charge me by user. People see that multiplying effect of the number of users I, and they like it, I can it, understand right? an annual subscription to keep updates coming and things like that, but, but don't scale it based on users. That, does, that doesn't seem fair for the same functionality. Yeah. Well, so it, isn't it fair to say, though, that if, if they're not charging, if that ends up not being a fair amount they're charging, that people won't buy it and they'll have to address that? I think more people are more comfortable with a simple single subscription fee than to get nickel and dime month over month based on their user account. Yeah. And it affects their, their buying decision. It affects their ability to scale up to new users because now they have to factor in all these other apps that they bought that are right. also on the same model. I'm just saying if, if, enough, if enough people have a problem with that, they won't buy it or they'll get a lot or they'll complain about it and well, I think it'll I, change. I think, I think, think though that Salesforce, companies like Salesforce have trained every, have shifted everyone's thinking and everyone, everyone expects per user pricing nowadays. That's just the way everything is. Everyone has jumped on board. You know, all the Salesforce ISVs, everything is like per user, it seems like. And there's some, there's some Well, there's also but. very complicated licensing models that I think have to go as well. Yeah. So yeah. there's, uh, 
per user, but depending on the type of user, and then the volume of transactions, which I understand from one sense, because if you have a, you know, if you have a, another service that you're pinging, then sure, that makes sense. But I think that they, the licensing needs to be simpler and it needs to be direct and it should not need to require complex management by the, by the client. I think the company should ma- it should be easier for them to manage their users and their licensing. Yeah. Over the years, that's got, that's kind of ballooned. It's gone yeah. pretty, I, I don't even, I used to know what every license type was. I, I have no chance of it right now. I'll if you showed that. me a list, I, I'd be lost. I always recommend so the, um, our, uh, our bud, Stephen Herod, who uh, does the, he's a, t- he's a TA mm-hmm. and he also run, uh, he and Matt Lacey do the um, code garbage. Code garbage. Yeah. But he has, and I don't know what his URL is. You can just Google it. But he has a diagram that he did like a couple of years ago on all the different license types and what they have access to. And it's like this, if I remember correctly, it's like these concentric rings because as you add, like they get access to more and more things. And that's still the only way that I can understand Salesforce's licenses. So hopefully he keeps that up to date. Yeah. Because um, that's I'll have to check that that's out. really useful. I haven't seen that. But anyway, the, so the, the, the second part of the story of the ISVs is they are getting more picky. And I think this is really a separate story altogether. But um, so here's a quote for this uh, woman, Melissa DiDonato, who is, uh, she's in charge of like OEMs and ISVs. Um, so the, she says, the way we onboard our partners is number one, we look at their business idea. Is it valuable to our customers? And is it a white space? White space. A white space, meaning that, like, is there, has anyone done this yet, I think, is mm-hmm. what that means. Mm-hmm. Does it solve a need our customer has? Uh, she says, and and that is unique. A lot of other vendors' channel programs say, here's our here's our tech, go sell it to a reseller, and they're happy. We don't do that. We want them to utilize our technology in a useful way for our customers. But this thing of, you know, is it valuable to our customers, and is it a white space? Well, isn't that... Isn't that the customer's choice, whether it's valuable to them? This is what I feel like Salesforce is getting involved in this, ju- judging these these ISVs. And they're basically like, if Salesforce says, yeah, you know what? We we don't want you to do that with our platform, so uh, no. No, sorry. No, yeah, no I, service for you. Yeah, I see your point there. <laughs> I, I think maybe maybe at least they pick their favorites, the ones they think solve the solution the best way, and they make those featured. Or they give it. They give it the Salesforce right. gold seal. I'd, I'd be fine with that. Like some editorial discretion to what, yeah. what they're going to mm-hmm. promote, and not promote. Right. But like, but you can't say that you're an enterprise platform where you can build anything on it and then say no. We don't think that's a good use case. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if if they if Salesforce thought it was a good enough idea, they would have built it themselves. Of course. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's just it's very strange. Okay. Um, so okay. So in the traditional resale channel, signing up, signing up a reseller can be a simple task with many vendors requiring just a few basic details before enrolling a company. Uh, albeit to the lowest tier and with limited benefits. Uh, but Salesforce insists its recruitment process is as rigorous as possible. Again, D. Donato is her name, says the process begins with a business review where a partner's idea is analyzed by Salesforce to check that it has not been done before. What? There can't be any competition? Oh, we already have a roll-up There's helper. Plenty of you, we don't want your roll-up helper. Yeah, that, that won't be an issue because maybe maybe I want to build a better roll-up helper. <laughs> but no, no, you can't. You can't. You can't build it. There's already a roll-up helper. Mine's better. You need not apply. <laughs> roll-up <laughs> helpers need not apply. Okay, so. But there's many competing apps out there, and maybe that's maybe it's the the. Yeah, I hope curation doesn't get to the point where it's stifling competition. Yeah, I, I just I just want to see less junk. 
in the app store. That, that's the only thing I'm really after is some way to filter and get some of that junk out of here. And more requirements to maintain the solutions, yeah. as, regardless of how small they are. But I'm tired of having to clean up apps that no longer work as well in orgs that oh, were yeah. put in. Especially the have to create fake data or fake classes yep. because somehow it got corrupted or yes. deleted and you can't uninstall a package because it's missing something. The unmanaged apps, those are yeah. Those are the worst. Um Okay, yeah. So the check has not been done before and answers a genuine customer need. So they're going to decide whether they're answering a genuine customer need. So what happens when someone comes up with a new idea, right? That no one, I mean, did, did anyone know that we needed the iPhone before the iPhone existed? No, right? So Apple, if Apple went and, and surveyed all of its customers and said, what, what, is, you know, what do you need in a phone? No one would have come up with the iPhone. Only Apple came up with that. It was their idea. No, I think at the time we were still focused on flip phones and making them smaller. Right. They didn't survey their Zoolander way into the phones. iPhone. Zoolander phones, <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, then they have a technical <laughs> review where the partner in Salesforce, techies, that word, team up to map out the specific features of the app. Okay. Last but not least comes a security review, which ensures partners are in line with Salesforce's procedures. So yeah, so once you, I guess you're building your app, Salesforce is going to team up with you to map out specific features. I guess they're going to line out and veto your features. Oh, we don't like that feature. Take it out. They must not have done this process for every app on the App Exchange. This is new. This is a new program. Yeah. yeah. This is where they're going with it. During this journey, they are utilizing the Salesforce technology at no cost to them. They can get into the market for free, except for the $2,500 plus the 25%. So we're not standing in their way, and we're giving them everything they need. I don't know. It, 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 it might be worth it. They're, getting, they're just getting a little heavy-handed with the... Um, well, two things will happen. It'll be really, be really successful, and we'll start getting better quality apps, or it'll fail miserably, and they'll just have to back, back out of it. Yeah. I don't, I don't really see too much of a middle ground there on that one. Yeah. That's all I got on that one. Um, Oracle had some disappointing results. We, we'd like to talk about Oracle because they're such a good, such a warm and fuzzy relationship with, with Salesforce. Um, yeah, so Oracle's hurting a little bit. Um, revenue is flat, $30 billion a year. They're still, they're still big. They're still like, what is that? Six or seven, eight times bigger than Salesforce. The cloud revenue is growing 28% year over year. So I guess that's okay. Um, net income was $2.8 billion for three months. So at least they're still printing cash. That's a lot of cash, man. Profit, $2.8 billion in a quarter. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, you got to love the quotes, though. So this is, I think, Ellison. Oracle's planned SaaS and pass revenue growth rate is around 60% in constant currency. Salesforce.com has a planned growth rate of around 20%. <laughs> What I don't get, I guess, so I guess he's saying their SaaS is 60% because their overall growth rate was, was actually negative. Um, yet combined revenue from the company's SaaS, PaaS, and IaaS offering accounted for just 5.4% of their, of their total, right? So this very small percent of their, this very small piece of their business is, is growing at 60% a year. <laughs> it's easy to say. I mean, it's, it's easy to grow, it's easy to have, you know, 60% growth when 
your revenue is a small number, right? Yeah. It's kind of hard to, hard to do that when it's 10 or 20 billion. And then so SAP has this, this HANA, we've talked about it, or HANA technology, this uh, in-memory database. You've probably heard of that. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it before, John. It's supposedly like a, it's a data, it's a data, all in-memory database. And it's got like kind of BI type of um, analysis, super high performance built into it. And this is what, this is what Ellison says about that. SAP does not use HANA in the cloud very much. I know that because they keep paying us. They paid us again <laughs> this quarter um, for Oracle for Concur. I guess Concur is something that SAP bought. Was that, I don't know, some kind of software as a service. Oracle for Ariba and Oracle for success factors. Um, he says, if they use HANA for anything, I don't know about it. <laughs> and then he says, Salesforce paid us a lot of money for that, pl- for that platform. Um, they buy Exadata from us to run their data center. Those are the um, giant, you know, basically super pods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now they buy Exadata from us to run their data center. They buy the Oracle database. They paid us a lot of money for the Oracle database. He said, referring to a nine-year deal they signed. I think it was worth like $300 million. It's a lot of Oracle database. Yeah. Um, it's not going anywhere, but... I think that people, I think what it is is, you know, as older apps get retired and people are, you know, you have new generations of apps starting. I mean, people aren't choosing Oracle for the database. They're doing MySQL or Postgres or, or if it's not relational, you know, all these other key value stores and document databases and stuff, right? There's yeah. so much options, so many options now for, for storage, depending on what type of things you're storing. I mean, who does, who does Oracle? Who right? Who today? Enterprise. Enterprise, right? Yeah. But the the whole app space, the software as a service space. I mean, you know, they're not. And and in fact, if you dig into Oracle's numbers deeper, they are what they're surviving on is existing customers' renewal rates. High, you know, high renewal rates because once you're on, as Salesforce has learned, once you're on Oracle, you can't get off of it. Salesforce tried with Postgres, right? Hired fifty Postgres employees and made a big stink about it, and then quietly bailed on that because they just can't get off Oracle. I don't know why. As you just, discovered you just, this past you week. Just, you just make modular <laughs> code and you can move it anywhere you want to, Jeremy. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. But again, I mean, the way that Salesforce achieves their performance... I know. Yeah, just, like, <laughs> <ignore> it. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're just... Uh, it's the security model... Performance, it's all, it's all just, uh, it's so, it's so baked with Oracle and. That's a lot of spaghetti to unravel. Yep, it is. Well, I always try to, I try to avoid direct database code anyway. Like I, it's, if at all possible, no stored procedures. Sometimes I you try get, to, sometimes you got to get there for performance. Sometimes you do. I just, I, in my work, I just yeah. rarely, hardly ever have to. And it's always, I always try to figure out, is there some way I can avoid Doing stored procedures because they're they're just they're harder to test. You're coupled to a database now. It's always a terrible language, right? Yeah. So it's just something to avoid. But in Salesforce, in this case, they just you know, like I said, they have to. Yeah. Which is why you you see uh, these Oracle stack traces bubbling up every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> every now and then. O R A dash you know two four seven two, and then and then I love it, and then it'll, it'll print out the um, like the JDBC. Statement. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even see like the parameters that were passed into it. I'm like, surely that's a security problem. 
Like they should not be, it should not bubble up a SQL statement right. with named parameters that are going into the SQL statement. That, that is a security flaw. Fix that, guys. Um, I saw that Salesforce registered over 100 domains and they are misspellings. Um, misspellings? So here's an example. They registered the domain na1salesforce.com. Oh, sorry. Are they going to have to do this for uh, every domain? For every they, regional I think they did subdomain? For they, you know, there's cs67salesforce.com. CS67. How many sandbox pods are there? I'm sure they're growing. A yeah. lot of those pods are going international. I think I yeah. think we're covered here the in the states. The highest I've seen is like 25, 24, 20, 25. Yeah. There's there's way more uh, sandbox pods than there are production though, which is yes. interesting. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's so that um you have, there's a less chance of or lower chance of someone doing something stupid in their sandbox and like blowing up the pod. If they do blow up the pod, it affects fewer people. Likely, yeah. If it's a smaller pod with less fewer clients on it. Um yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's about typos or preventing phishing attacks. Oh, that may be what it is. So you get an email from Salesforce. Oh, you're, um, we see that you, uh, oh, we need you to reset your password because someone was trying to log in with your password. Click here, right? And so, and then someone gives you like this na1salesforce.com, right? It looks, unless you realize there's not a period right. there, you're missing a dot. And people will click on that and, and put in their Salesforce password. So maybe Salesforce is buying all those up for that reason. Yeah, it could be. Um, what else? Allison, do you have any topics? Oh, you know what? At some point, is it on here? I want to talk about person accounts. Well, I wanted yeah. to cover that in the marketing cloud. I, th- I think I think I can segue nicely into person accounts with that. Okay. Perfect. But we have we have marketing cloud two point How do we feel about that? Do we? Does do you guys know about this? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I just don't understand the journey thing. I don't. I don't do exact target. Or whatever, you know, marketing cloud. But I, d- I did see it. You know, yeah. So this was announced at their. Well, th- this is actually Exact Target's annual conference that yep. Salesforce inherited. Um, it's interesting because this is this used to be a conference that was done in Indiana, but it got moved to New York City. But I think this the plan to move to New York City happened before Benioff's kind of boycott of Indiana. Yeah, it did. But yes. I don't think it's going back now. But okay. the original intent was to see if they could get more, you know, visitors. You know, because more people can come in and, you know, go to New York and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but anyways, yeah, they're improving the, the kind of journey experience, I believe is from what I read. Um, they're kind of trying to establish this longer chain of connections in the journey so that you have more interactions within it, not just marketing. It's almost like they're blurring the line between marketing and sales through this journey process where, as you, you can feed in customer support, so when you have someone come in as a lead and you can bring in, as they move in through the process and they get acclimated to being a customer with you, they're going to have other things happening, you know, along the process. You know, things that require customer support, maybe things that require sales support. And it's supposed to be a more kind of interactive journey, so they're, the, the user's kind of going through this story and they, they have touch points in between and different people can interact with them. That Who can interact? Like the person that you're stalking can interact with you? It's a two-way street between the, your Salesforce team. I, I don't know what to say because it's, it's, it's kind of blurring the line, like I said, of marketing. So you have your marketers, you have your support, you have your sales reps. They're kind of all involved in this journey. Yeah. And they're all interacting with you as a customer. Yeah. 
I want to opt out of being on anyone's <laughs> journey map. Can I do that? It, it could, it, depending on how they do it. If they go creepy with it, then yeah, you know, take me off the list. But if, if, it, if it adds value to my experience as far as trying to make a purchase or be a longtime customer, yeah. I don't see the harm in it. We're all heading to creepy. We all know that. <laughs> so because that line <laughs> is getting blurred, and here's where I think I can segue into person accounts, because marketing has an interesting perspective on working with customers. And that is they work with real people. And when we talk about Salesforce and CRM, it's built on a B2B model, meaning you're business to business. Those, and aren't, our, those aren't real people? Well, that's, that's the kind of assumption that's made in a B2B model, is that you're not dealing with people, you're dealing with a company. And, and when you think about CRM as a customer relationship management system, a CRM, you're dealing with people, right? Yeah. And so here's where I think Salesforce kind of missed the boat on... On B2C, we'll say. Okay. Because person accounts wasn't an original inception of Salesforce. It was strictly a B2B, and then right. they tacked on the B2C model. Right. And that has affected a lot of the things that they want to champion. They want to champion industries in education. They want to champion in industries like nonprofits. They want to champion in healthcare. And those are very B2C businesses, industries. But they don't have a good solution for that, mainly because of that data model. Now, I don't like person accounts. Yeah, <laughs> there's too many trade-offs, too many issues. But Allison, you you actually kind of swayed me a little bit. You did say there are some cases where person accounts can be useful. Yep. So I'm hoping you'll you'll share. Yeah, I think that uh, with person accounts, just like any data model, there's there's good cases and there's bad cases for why you should use even leads. Right? Some companies say I I, I don't want to use leads. Others say, yep, leads are great. Some say, you know, opportunities isn't my thing. Others say, sure, yeah, right? So with person accounts, it's the same situation. More often than not, um, it, the decision is usually not person accounts. But there are very specific cases where it makes so much sense because the way that I look at it is you use as much native functionality as you can and using person accounts allows you to use more native functionality in Salesforce right. when it comes to opportunities, leads, sales cloud, service cloud, et cetera. So uh, there are drawbacks, but there are use cases where it has proved to be extremely valuable. And I think about very complex orgs that we have implemented and currently still work on that are on person accounts. And I think about how bad it would be to this day, if we didn't have person accounts. And, and those you would just be have to know, like nonprofits or? Uh, yeah, higher education for student records mm -hmm. is very, is a very critical, a very good use case for person accounts. Some nonprofits, it does also work. It really depends on the nonprofit. A lot of them have different purposes. So for example, a, a legal association that's selling to like legal agencies and lawyers, probably not good for person accounts, but somebody else that is uh, a healthcare, a healthcare nonprofit that's focused on developing doctor relationships, maybe that's something that's more useful if they, they care about the individuals, right? So it just depends on what you, what the scenario is. And I think it takes a team that understands the ins and outs of person accounts, understands the organization and the use cases to determine, is this going to set me back long-term? Is this going to give me problems long-term? 
Um, a lot of people don't understand person accounts. A lot of people don't even know they exist. So I think that it's important to make those those proper decisions, but not throw it out the window if there is a need for B2C. That should always be on the table until you can prove that it really isn't the right solution. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the use cases are real. I mean, the, the need for person accounts is very real. Well, the it need for a B2C model is what's real. Yeah. And yeah. to me, those are almost synonymous. Like, that's what... Kind of, that's what person accounts are for. It's, right. it's for B to C. Whether and we say B business to consumer, but I just whether don't like it's the a, word person accounts, it, it yeah, it kind of it's it's almost like a, a mashing of two things that shouldn't be. It, that's exactly how it's implemented, and that's why it's called. It's almost they named it. It, it wears it wears its technological debt on its sleeves. Correct. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it, literally, they named it after the messed up implementation that it is. You know, there was again, and the problem was everything in Salesforce for the until they had person accounts was all built around what did they what did Salesforce call the account contact opportunity like that's it's like the something triangle whatever it's like everything's built around these things right um, email communication templates uh, the whole notion of like who IDs and what IDs which are all over the system you know it's all about accounts and contacts yes um, and, and I also think that. Because, because there's real life scenarios that don't fit into the account contact model, people automatically think person accounts, but there's a lot of massaging that you can do or that, that is, is possible without jumping right to it. Um, I just don't think that there are a lot of resources out there to provide people the right knowledge that they need. Yeah, so, I, think, I think resources on person accounts is severely yeah. lacking. A great, a great example. Remember about resources, documentation. Not people. you. Yeah. <laughs> Not people. Don't worry. Oh, oh I, you're taking offense to my, my use of the word resources. I see. I've walked out of meetings when I got called a resource. <laughs> <laughs> knowledge. I used to call you a tool. Now I just get to call you a resource yeah. so that it gets under your skin more. We need more knowledge articles. Yeah. Yep. About person accounts. But a great use case is, all right, well, what if somebody works for this organization but they're a board member over here and they volunteer with this organization or they are um, on this part of this association, that's not just reserved for nonprofits. That's reserved for for-profits too. I would like to know if I was in sales for a for-profit company, how my particular uh, prospect or customer is connected. And that is one flaw, I think, of accounts contacts right. that, that, across the board can be prevented if you go to more of a marketing um, model where you have a journey. And think about it. The opportunity really is, is, is truly the journey. And just because it's connected to a company doesn't mean it shouldn't also be able to be connected to a person. Person accounts there. Is that a checkbox or do you have to, you have to you enable activate it? it. Yep, you have, you to, have to get contact Salesforce to enable it. Yes. Yeah, that's, see, that's another barrier. You can't just, arbitrarily go into a sandbox experiment and see if this is right for you. You have to actually do no. some And work. once you turn it on, you can't turn it off. Yeah, which is why I'm saying sandbox, because at least you <laughs> yes. can blow away the sandbox. Scary. <laughs> yeah. But, but one thing we haven't really talked about that much, I mean, and the reason we're making such a big deal about you really should understand whether you need person accounts or not, and, and you should be damn sure, is because there are so many downsides to person accounts. Because it was such an afterthought and a kind of a bolt-on that never got well-integrated, 
Um, there are l- everything from just limitations, what could be fairly called limitations, to outright bugs. And it's a, it's a constantly evolving set of bugs. Um, I'm not sure so much about, like, in the UI, just usage. I don't know if you run across, you know, bugs per se. But in the API, especially like the metadata API, there are bugs all over the place as it relates to person right. counts. And just weird things, things that aren't, you know, that aren't documented right. You get, you know, um, field names that don't exist, and, and it just starts rejecting. If you have, like, a person account on, on layouts, it'll just randomly reject some of those person accounts. Um, and then, you know, so it just it creates a lot of manual steps if you're, if you're, if you're automating things or using the metadata API, there's just, you just can't use it in a lot of cases. Right. From a, an interface perspective, from a solution architecture perspective, there really isn't much limitation. There used to be, but they have made improvements specifically in formulas, uh, you know, cross-reference um, formulas between accounts and contacts, um, you know, validation rules, workflows, all of that. So they've done a very... They've done as good of a job fixing a hack solution to be less of a hack than I think they can from a front-end perspective. Uh, when I evaluate person accounts, it's obviously much very process and data model related, but it's also, is there going to be complex code? Is it we're going to be in a situation where we need the metadata API? Um, is there going to be certain third-party apps, app exchange apps, and do those work? A lot of people... Uh, just because an app doesn't say that they support person accounts doesn't mean that they don't. A person account is literally an account and a contact record. It's a high, it's two records in the database. It's just it's uh it's masked to look like it's one. Yeah, they right. that's they, it. They add an abstraction on top of that that you can either look at it as an account or a contact depending on your context or what what Salesforce tool you're exactly. trying to use. Because some Salesforce tools only work with contacts, some only work with accounts, and you really want to be able to use both. So it's like you can kind of cast this thing to look like one or the other depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Right. Yep. But So tying this back to Marketing Cloud, I, I think, do you guys think that B2B is maybe a legacy and that maybe B2C is the future? No. They're, they're both the future. But we talk yeah. about Salesforce, and Salesforce and Benioff touts being a customer company, getting closer to your customer. We look at leads. Leads are a person. Mm-hmm. It's only when they get turned into an account and contact that we lose that that personal mm-hmm. touch with that person, where we kind of abstract them out to this this number, this account. They're now mm, B. I don't know if that's fair. I mean, they're still they're a contact. You can, yeah. But I think about However, some of the things that customers ask me to do. They they want action plans. They want sales processes. They want they want to take the customer on a journey. Mm-hmm. They want to to take their opportunity through this process. And uh, I think marketing has that, and they got that through Exact Target. But can Salesforce offer something similar for sales? I think one of the biggest challenges is that you can't move a contact between accounts. Oh well, you could, you can technically in the solution you can, but your data just you have a ripple effect, a negative ripple effect if you do that. Yeah, because so, the account is is the king. The count is the top of the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. With how much people move around and the business relationships that, if we just think about the business relationships that we have, I don't necessarily care where a contact that I had five years ago works now at, from a, you know, I, I care about what she knows that I can do for her wherever she is. And I think that's what is a challenge. Yeah. Um, 
in the way that accounts and context just natively operates. Yeah, I think it's Following really relevant to what I see with sales. I mean, you talk about important. a salesperson, a seasoned salesperson, a lot of times the company's hiring them for their portfolio, exactly. the people they know, the contacts, you know, not necessarily the company names they're working with. It's who they know, who they can get in with, with those people. So I think technically the right thing to do. So if someone works at company A and you know, you're know you tracking them in Salesforce and then later they go to work for company B, the right thing to do is to create a, a new exactly. contact for them under company B because they're in a different role, mm-hmm. right? And whatever they did at company A, it really needs, there needs to be kind of that firewall, but so that, so that the things that were related to that company, they can be, you know, they stay safely where they are. But what you lose is, is the identity of that person. Correct. There's nothing, there's no overriding, like this person is a unique person with an identity and whatever role they may play at different companies, we can roll, we can kind of roll them up to this one identity and be able to see what mm-hmm. they've done across all these different companies across time. Yep. Yeah. And we have done that for many nonprofits, um, but it doesn't fit Salesforce's model. So it's not as transferable, right? So we have understood a donor or a volunteer and everywhere that they're connected and everywhere they've come from and all the companies they used to work for and the boards they used to be on, et cetera. But it's not as that concept isn't transferring very well, I don't think, into the for-profit space yet because the rest of the data model doesn't support it. Yeah. So is there a way out for Salesforce to support B2C? I mean, it's, it's, you mean other than person accounts or? Yeah. I mean, is, is, can person accounts be saved? I don't think they're I going think, anywhere. I mean, yeah, I think they can be. I think it takes a person account SWAT team SWAT. and it takes consultants, customers, Salesforce, et cetera, to come together and do it because you can't make, decisions about something like that unless you understand what is going on from the people that use it from the people that implement it the people that are closest to it and the people that architect it at salesforce that's my that's my perspective and i will say that being a somebody that loves person accounts i would be happy to be on that spot team <laughs> <laughs> so you almost see it as kind of like a hidden gem that just hasn't been polished enough i completely yes i agree with that statement yeah that is, that is that's a good metaphor because what do I say? It has rough edges. Person yeah. accounts have a lot of rough edges still that need to be. Yeah. And they're just, they're technical engineering challenges. And yeah. I don't know whether, I don't know. The question is whether it makes sense for Salesforce to spend the, the resources. Exactly. Well, we got to create the demand then, right? We <laughs> yeah. got to make more people aware of, of, of person accounts. And maybe, maybe those of us that are developers work around those challenges a little harder. Yes. So that we can create that demand and Salesforce can, Keep it on their radar. Well, I've decided because I'm because I've been doing so many person account type projects. I've decided I'm going to stop ignoring the bugs. And I'm just logging every every bug <laughs> I run across uh, with Salesforce support. And so right now I think I have like five or six open bugs that they've mm-hmm. been working on for I think two or three weeks now. They're all either in tier three or what they call R and D, which is I guess the engineering team. I think at the end of each solution architecture process that that we go through. I want to know that if even if I say no to person accounts, there is a solid solution that I can implement that for a B2C type model or a customer or an individual driven model, whatever we want to call it, and there just isn't one. If you don't do person accounts, there's always something that is stressful. There's always something that's going to be clunky. There's always something that keeps you up at night going my clients will not understand this, but I have no other choice. 
That's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. Person accounts. Person can't, accounts. Can't live with them, can't live without them. You need a little audio bite for that. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with them. What, One of those. <laughs> what, would, what would be a good substitute, John? Person accounts. I have no idea. Yeah. You're the master of the soundboard. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know. No. <laughs> All right. So what's next? Um, we I have some wave stuff. Yeah, there is some wave. So they this new app. This is the one that we were talking about. You said you hadn't seen yet. I, th- I think it just happened today. I, th- I think the news just dropped today. So there's a new sales app for Wave. And yeah, I haven't pl- seen this. I was thinking as a mobile app when you asked me about it. Nothing has come through as an update. It's not at oh so I don't think I don't know I don't think it's a new app you install I'm not I'm not I'm not sure I, I mean I don't use you use way more than I do which is none um, <laughs> but it supposedly uh, helps you manage your sales pipeline so and I don't know if it's big, oh, so maybe like a new family of just predefined charts or metrics or and I don't know if it's like more advanced forecasting like you can you can kind of slice and dice your pipeline and see where it's or if I don't know if it's like predictive like based on Factors and seasonal, you know, taking into account seasonal effects and your history. This is where you're, based on all the data, this is where you're going to be at the end of the quarter. And and this is why, right? right. I don't know if that would be cool. That's, I've talked about doing an app like that forever because, you know, I have a st- uh, statistics background and I'm, and I've always thought, you know, I, I could, I think I could apply the right statistical tools and analyses to predict where someone's quarter is going to end up and why. And I can also tell them what what factors affect whether they're successful or not, or whether deals close or not. Yeah, I just never have done it. <laughs> well, that's kind of the but knowledge. If Wade, I, Wade could do stuff yeah. like that. That'd be cool. That we, but we've you know constantly you're debating whether is Wave just a visualization tool or is it going to be truly an, an analytical tool where you can do this predictive stuff and and understand what factors are involved and and block for certain factors. Right. Right. Or is it just is it so just right slicing it, and dicing? Data? Right now, it's mostly slicing and dicing. It doesn't doesn't have those <clears throat> built in tools to do that type of analytics. So, but I um, I saw one article in the analyst. He's you know he basically was saying this is kind of a more really more of a demo of what's possible. So I guess it's a good almost example. And here's the kind of stuff you can build with Wave. But he was not very excited because number one, it's just in pilot. Uh, number two, Salesforce is really still really late to the game here. Like there's so many just competitors that are years that have a multi-year head start in front of Wave. Um, they need like they, you know they need to be on par with things like Microsoft's Power BI, specifically mentioned, but also you know I always talk about Tableau, Good Data, still catch up with those guys. Um, and it'll be something that works well for existing Salesforce CRM customers, but it's, this is not like something. And I don't know if Wave is meant to be something that could be standalone, but, you know, they're certainly not going to get any play out of existing other than existing Salesforce CRM customers. Um, And if you already have an existing BI tool, like if you're already a a Tableau user, like nothing so far is what what is convincing to to get you to change. Especially, you know, considering that if you already have Tableau, it's a sunk cost. Yeah. But but I think even if if it was Does Tableau offer more of that analytics type? Features or is it pretty much presentational me, as well? To me, Tableau is in the is in the camp of of, of I hate to use the term I'm using democratizing 
business intelligence. I think you've used that word I know, once in every one of our podcasts uh, for the last three weeks. Oh, <laughs> the word you hate. You need to yes. get it like a thesaurus so you can stop using it. <laughs> I gotta stop. Um, but no, making making these tools available to business people so they can visualize and manage their own data. Right. Um, they are not in the you know advanced, true pred- like predictive analytics and Watson type stuff. Yeah, you know stuff that IBM and honestly Oracle and SAP are doing. Um. Yeah, and and this guy also thinks that Salesforce is going to have to do more acquisitions in the in the BI space to get caught up. So I think I mean from what I can tell, I think Salesforce has a great uh, platform to build on with Wave. The technology is solid. Yeah. They have some smart people working on it, but still they're they're still behind. And it would it it might make sense to um, to look at some maybe not big acquisitions, just smaller people that have you know, some kind of specialized tools or what was they, they just bought that um, company a couple of weeks ago. The calendar one? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was the calendar one. Uh, we, we talked about it, but it, it basically, um, it's an, it's, it was a, a bit kind of an AI type of thing. It, it looks at, it reads your emails and all this kind of, not, not implicit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, uh, that like, was that calendar app. Was it? Um, it's, so it just, it looks at all these different sources of data and it just figures stuff out. Yeah. Um, you know, if they can, I don't know, just that level of of intelligence, like yeah. figuring stuff out for you, telling you stuff you didn't know. I mean, if I have to slice it and dice it myself and whatever, you know, then I, I, I want the power of statistics to tell me things that I can't tell just with my own two eyes. You know, that's yeah. what I want. That's what I would want. I think that's what most people want. I mean, when we talk about analytics and everything, they're all just they're, we're all trying to figure out what's going on with our data, what's going on with our customers, you know, where are they heading? And I, th- I think that's probably the next thing to come. It's not big data. It's because big data isn't really valuable. It's you can slice it, dice it. You can see trends and things like that, but it's only valuable to a short, c- certain number of people. I think what's going to be mm-hmm. more valuable and what we're seeing more in, in just in the consumer market is intelligent apps, apps that, that actually have some intelligence behind them that they kind of take a, they kind of take a risk. They kind of take a chance to say, Hey, yeah. I, th- I think this is, this is what you need. Right. You know, even Siri and all these other things are taking a, a shot at what they think you're asking for based on context. And I think that's probably going to be the, the next wave of features that we need to see from Salesforce. It's something that has a little more intelligence behind it. Yeah, and, I, and it's such a natural space for them because they're, they're, they're CRM to, to yeah, get absolutely. into the area of, listen, this deal is probably not going to close and here's why. We've looked at all, you know, we've looked at all your data and it turns out that when you're dealing with a company that's less than five years old in the Midwest that you're losing those or, or whatever, you know, just yeah. something or, or here's what you need to change before this deal gets to the pitch stage. If you're, if you want to increase your odds, like that's the kind of stuff that would be really cool. Yeah. And I know it's possible. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily sexy, sexy visual stuff though. And that's right. what wave has been at least from the sales pitches. That's what it's all about. It's like, look at these animated graphs that you can do on your phone. Well, okay, that's cool. But did that tell me something? Or your watch. Is it telling me something? Is it giving me real insight into my business that I didn't have before? Right. And is exactly. it giving you real insight into your salespeople themselves, watching their patterns, their trends, how they work, and making adjustments based on the best scenarios possible? And I think that's that's also very different. So I think Salesforce is, you know, is putting in 
has some critical functionality for tracking how people are using the system, but I think they can take that to a whole new level to evaluate the actual users and the salespeople. So yeah, they, they've they've got a lot of data in the system that they can yeah. leverage. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, they're working on this stuff. The question is, is when is it going to be here, and and how much is it going to cost? Yeah, <laughs> I still yeah, don't think I'm, I'm ever going to get to use Wave. That's true. No, I yeah, I, I think they're I think they're going to lower the cost though at some point. I think they came out and priced it at a super premium price because that sets that position position them right because they knew they would get criticism that oh they're they're brand new they just launched this how are they going to ever catch up with all these other competitors and so the way that again they got they get in front of that argument is they come out and say uh, well it's five hundred it's a half a million dollars a year just to get into it well it must it must be awesome right. Well, also, it's so easier to go that, down than it is to go up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Except, except with your ISV fees. Yeah. It's, it's all relative, <laughs> right? Well, that, I'm, I'm sure that, that's really painful for them, right? Going up. You you always want to start high. Yeah, and, but, of course. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, no, they position it as, as this premium product in terms of price. Um, and I think they'll they'll grow into that expectation, but I also think the price will soften. I think what, you know, because there's, there's list price and there's what people actually get invoiced for and can negotiate. And I... I wouldn't be surprised if that gets mm-hmm. much more reasonable. Can I move Fun on stuff. to some good news? Yeah. We get to call ourselves developers again. Oh, do we? We do. Yay! <laughs> Why is that? I was hoping for a little sound bite. I was hoping to get a little applause, something, maybe a woo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we are so excited. I think this just came out today and actually came through my email, but they're changing the certification program. So what used to be developer is going to become app builder. So if you were previously certified as a developer, you will become a certified app builder, which means you can build an application using declarative tools. Okay. And we will once again still have our developer certification, but it'll be um, certified platform developer one, and that'll be consistent of Apex code. And what used to be the advanced developer, the one where you had to take the actual um, essay exam, write some code. Right. Um, that will be developer two versus advanced. And that will all be in effect September 14th, just in time for Dreamforce, because I know a lot of people do training at Dreamforce. Yeah. Yes. So you'll be able to get your new That's, certifications at Dreamforce. That has always blown my mind. Me too. Uh, why in the hell would I, do I want to worry about taking an exam? I'm the, First of all, I just got off a flight. You know, oh, you mean at Dreamforce? I can't, I can't get anywhere. There's no cabs. You know, my... Uh, Funny story. You're, you're, uh, you're tired, and what the last thing the last thing I'd want to do is sit for an exam. Last year, last year, Mark and I went to Dreamforce. We stayed with my friend. Went in on Saturday. Decided that we were going to all go to Sonoma on Sunday. He had his exam at like six p.m. on Sunday night before conference. So we go to Sonoma. We wine taste all day come back and there's traffic and we're frantic. Oh my gosh, how do we get him there? How do we get him there? Finally, we got him there. He like bolted in, took the exam. I waited for him. He came out. We were exhausted from drinking all the wine. And uh, <laughs> uh, he didn't say anything when he walked out of the exam. And it, it was like a couple minutes. I'm like, oh, he must have failed. He must have failed. He's drunk and whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, after five minutes, I'm like, did you pass? And he's like, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you, go. you, you can pass the developer exam drunk. <laughs> but especially like, I mean, and I don't I know people go for different reasons, but I, I'm really just going because I want to meet, there's so many people that I want to meet that I've, you know, 
known through Twitter or just phone calls or whatever over the years. Um, and I want to have fun. I don't even know if I want to go to any sessions. I don't. Um, I might go to some of the, um, like some of the behind the scenes Salesforce sessions, like the, their engineering. I think they do some s- yeah. sessions that are about yeah. like their engineering. I'll probably go to those cause that's always interesting. Um, but other than that, I just want to talk to people and hang out in halls and hopefully we'll get to just interview a bunch of random and not random people um, yeah, for the absolutely. podcast. So I really like going to the <clears throat> what's next in the blank cloud sessions. I think those are actually really cool. The community's cloud sessions last year were, were very good. And uh, the kickoffs are cool. So I do a lot of nonprofit and higher ed work. So their kickoffs are really fun. They have some cool speakers and things like that. But the sessions, a lot of the individual sessions are much more designed for people trying to get into the platform yeah. or new administrators, mm-hmm. new directors, et cetera. And, and I know they uh, they do have more advanced sessions and stuff. And, and I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'll probably go to some if I, if they're like right up my alley and like, Oh, mm-hmm. that's, I need to learn like about you know, some kind of advanced deployment, you know, continuous integration or uh, who knows what, right? Something that something might catch my eye that I'd go to, but, yeah. um, but any kind of the stuff that I could learn by reading the documentation or any kind of stuff, I'm just, you know, I find a lot of value in the expos, walking around the expo hall and just learning about new solutions, you know, why people are there. Some of them don't even have an app exchange app, but they're there. And there's, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating. There was a, an Emirates, uh, booth the other, uh, last year next to the Tesla. No, for, uh, Emirates airlines. Oh, okay. So it was this very elite area of this, uh, um, of this, uh, floor and yeah. it was pretty cool to to talk to them so it's it's interesting yeah the the free beard doesn't hurt either no, yeah on the expo floor. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. they have ping pong and they have cornhole now out, outside oh wow so yeah. that was a that was definitely a highlight cornhole and craft beer so i heard heaven. rumors <laughs> and I, I don't know if this has been scaled back year over year because it's been a few years but the year i went this was still prevalent but my understanding is they're going to severely frown on uh, what, what I'm going to use air quotes, booth babes from now on that they're discouraging companies from having quote unquote booth babes. But then again, who judges whether it's a booth babe? Yeah. Or not? How, like, what, what if you just happen to have a good looking there? woman that works at uh, a company, you know, is she a booth babe? No, uh, the, the, it's they're purposely scantily clad women trying to scan your badges. It's part of the woman surge. <laughs> I actually, I think that's why they're trying to trying to be a little more sensitive to that subject. But that, that's what I heard that that they were going to severely frown on what that type of stuff. What about booth bros? Where I know, are exactly. Those? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm that's maybe that's pop, the problem. Not get rid of booth babes, yeah. but just have booth bros. Yeah, booth I've seen plenty of booth bros at, at Dreamforce. So yeah. don't don't you know? <laughs> yeah. Don't think they don't exist. I guess, those, I guess booth bros are okay. I guess I never noticed the booth bros. <laughs> Probably <laughs> no, whatever. not. Whatever. You're like, oh, that guy's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Can't I'm married to you, man? Yeah, exactly. We established that earlier right. on already. No cheating. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You lose. You get nothing. Good day, sir. I've, I've walked out of meetings when I got called a resource. We're all heading to creepy. We all know that. Creepy dudes. Super creepy. I'm liking this ball. Super creepy. I can move my hips. Super creepy. Do you like cherries, sir? Super creepy.